Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Good morning from Moody Radio. Coming up, Terry Glassby joins us to talk about one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. Who might that be? Not me. It's not <laughs> me. I know that was your first thought. I, I, I That was very <laughs> high on the list. Yeah, but considering we're in the 21st century now, I don't know. I guess you kind of split. The centuries there, there, right? Yeah, Easy okay. There. I'll, I'll drop that. <laughs> no, as we do talk to Terry Glaspie, all of a sudden, Terry, I want to call you Gillespie. I don't know why, but maybe I told you it's early and that you were in good company. Terry Glaspie joining us. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. We're going to wake up together as we talk about C.S. Lewis, who has arguably been called one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. But I want to know, Terry, what makes C.S. Lewis a brilliant mind? Well, I think what makes Lewis a brilliant mind is that he isn't just a mind. He combines elements that are unique i think to any other author he he combines that reasonableness that's making sense out of life and giving us good arguments for christianity he combines that with creativity with imagination and also i think with a sense of creating a holy space in his writing I, I, unlike almost any other, other author i can think of you oftentimes feel like you're in the very presence of God as you're reading some of his very best works, both fiction and nonfiction. That, that's such a good description. And you mentioned his creativity. You also call yourself a creative mentor. What, pray tell, is a creative mentor? <laughs> a creative mentor is someone who loves having the opportunity to help people work on uh, the creative aspects of their life and figure out how their creativity, how the the art that they create, or the, what, however their creativity comes across, how that connects with their spiritual life, how that connects with their relationship with God. Boy, we could uh, spend an entire I, interview yes. just unpacking that right there. But we're here to talk about C.S. Lewis. That's another book, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. That's we'll, another we'll, book that I wrote. Yeah, we'll have to have you back to to talk about that. But one of the things that a lot of us know about C.S. Lewis is. You know, yes, he was this prolific writer, creative writer. So many people still love his works. They, they've endured. But we may not know quite as much about his personal story. Tell us, uh, who was C.S. Lewis beyond just an author? Yes, well, <clears throat> Lewis is someone who grew up in a home that was kind of nominally Christian. Um, his mother died when he was just a young boy. And that had a very devastating impact on him, including a devastating impact on his faith, because he prayed and prayed that God would heal his mother, and instead his mother died. So he was uh, sent off to a boarding school, which was a horrible place, so horrible that shortly after he left, they closed it down and put the <laughs> put the master in of the of the house into an insane asylum. Um, but uh, then he studied, he had, he had a good brain throughout his life and a lot of creativity. He became uh, a professor at Oxford and then later at Cambridge. And it was while he was at Oxford that he, partly through the influence of uh, Tolkien, 
uh, really returned to faith and began to write about it. So what can you tell us about that returning to faith? Because I I think that's so fascinating. He sounds like was very jaded in in, uh, a faith or a belief in God, and now he, in a sense, went all in. Talk about that, that process. Yeah, well, actually, he considered himself uh, as a young adult to be a complete atheist. And when he went to Oxford, he was a convinced atheist. But uh, his reading and his discussions with people really led him away from that. In fact, he he discovered that most of his favorite writers were Christians. Well, what do you make of that, he, he thought. And it began a process. It was a long process to faith. Um, first step along the way was the deciding that there was a God. Uh, and uh, it was probably about two years after that before he finally made a commitment to Jesus Christ. So it was a long, slow, and steady uh, journey toward the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's such an encouragement for those that we pray for, maybe, or if we're on our own journey of agnosticism or certainly thinking we're atheists, that God still loves us and is pursuing us, pursued C.S. Lewis. He came to faith in Christ, surrendered. Do you think that all of that and his relationship with Tolkien brought about those, well, we know that it brought about his writings, but what was significant as he was communicating with other people when he came to faith in Christ that impacted in when he was alive. We see how he impacted us now. But when he was alive, how did that turn from atheism to a Christ follower change people around him? Well, it was interesting that, uh, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, was himself very much a believer. And Tolkien had a large influence on bringing him to faith. And Lewis uh, was not only a brilliant intellectual, but even from the time he was a child, a very creative person. And so his very first Christian book was actually kind of an allegorical story called The Pilgrim's Regress, Hmm. kind of a taking off on uh, The Pilgrim's Progress by by Bunyan. And... uh, telling the story in in an allegorical form of all the intellectual steps along the way to faith for him. Um, And so, you know, he early on began to write, uh, almost as soon as he became a Christian, one of the ways he processed was through through his his books. Yeah. Through stories. Well, his uh, storytelling is incredible. The the stories endure to this day. I'm still currently reading a series yeah. that uh, to my kids that he wrote uh, so many years ago. And we're talking with uh, Terry Glassby this morning. He is author of Not a Tame Lion. It's about the life, the teachings, and the legacy of C.S. Lewis. We want to connect you with Terry. And so you're going to find links at our Facebook page, Don Steve in the Morning, or you can go directly to his website, terryglassby.com. When we come back in just a few moments, well, you said a phrase earlier, C.S. Lewis's best works. I'm curious what your favorite is. We'll find that out in just a little bit. Thanks for being with us. Why not take Dawn and Steve with you wherever you go? Download the Moody Radio app. He is 
uh, someone who's influenced his culture and ours as well, C.S. Lewis, one of the brilliant minds of the 20th century. And Terry Glasby has written a book as you have studied his life and his art. God had called him out of darkness into light, which he does for all of us when we're in relationship with him. Not a Tame Lion, the name of the book, The Life, Teachings, and Legacy of C.S. Lewis. So he did pen several books, many of them we know very well. We've read them to our kids. We've read them personally. We've put them on the big screen. What is Terry Glaspie's favorite work that C.S. Lewis penned? That's a little bit like asking me, which of my children is my favorite, right? Oh, it's personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, several of them have had such an impact on me. I love Mere Christianity. Uh, that book really helped me early on in my faith journey to answer a lot of important questions for me. Um, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. They speak to the child in me in powerful ways. Those images of who Jesus is and what the life of faith is like that that I see in those books are unlike any other. And, and then I like some of the, the little more challenging books like uh, uh, The Abolition of Man, which he saw, Lewis was so brilliant, he saw where our culture was going before it ever got there. Hmm. And, and actually was critiquing issues that are in the news now. So Yeah. yeah. Well, Terry, uh, you gave us three, so I don't know how many kids you have, but you can get into your top three favorite kids. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Well, um, But you, you mentioned uh, the Chronicles of, of Narnia, and I have to admit, I think that is probably my favorite uh, work of C.S. Lewis, and uh, some books of uh, those I like more than others. But the, the title of your book, Not a Tame Lion, that actually came out of uh, one of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia, didn't it? It did. It did. Yeah, uh, it's the way that the children ended up being introduced to who Aslan was. Aslan, who is the Christ-like figure in in the books, that uh, he's loving and he's and he's um, uh, his heart is for them, but he's not a tame lion, yeah. and that's how that's who Jesus is. He's not somebody we can tame with our finest theology or our best mystical experience or whatever, he fails to fit in any of the categories. He's bigger than all that because he's bigger than who we are. Mm -hmm. And that's the hope we have is because that's true, right? Right, which we wrestle with every day is looking at who God is as opposed to who we are. And C.S. Lewis could see that so beautifully and would challenge us in his writings you mentioned, though, this the things that he would see, C.S. Lewis could see where our culture was heading, some of the issues that he already said, hey, beware, this is something that's going to trip us up. What were a couple of those? Well, um, in his book, uh, Abolition of Man, which I'd highly recommend, I think it's one of the most important books written in the entire 20th century by anyone. Um, and he talks about the idea that uh, matters of morality and ethics are not just matters of opinion, that there is actually something that we, is baked into us that makes these things important. Um, there's a, a little quote here. Uh, the human mind has no more power of inventing a new value 
than of imagining a new primary color or indeed of creating a new sun or a new sky for it to move in. Mm. We, we, uh, we have to accept the tradition that has come down to us through uh, the scriptures. And um, if we abandon those universal values, we will actually lose what it means to be human, to be fully human. Mm -hmm. And to take these things seriously and not just discount them to another news feed and social media. But these are concrete things that are as true today as they were in the time of C.S. Lewis. We're talking to author Terry Glassfeed, Not a Tame Lion, The Life, Teachings, and Legacy of C.S. Lewis. We've connected you to Terry through our Facebook page. It is Don and Steve in the morning. And if you want that link texted to you, you can let us know that too. 800-555-7898. She brings the sparkle. He brings the chill. It's Dawn and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio. Hey, we're glad you've tuned in this morning. It is Thursday and happy to have you with us. Happy yes. National Pizza Day. Pizza Day. Happy National Bagels and Locks Day. Oh, those are good days. I'm telling you what, right now I am thinking I wish I'd made plans to kind of bring that to reality here in the studio this morning. The timing was against me yesterday to actually bring in the elements that would do that, but I can dream. I want to have a bagels and locks pizza. That way I can celebrate both with <laughs> one food. Two birds, one, one stone, right? Mm-hmm. So, but we can at least wish one another happy because don't you like bagels and locks? I do. Yeah. I'm probably a bigger fan of pizza, but I <laughs> yeah, bring it all on. Absolutely. It wasn't all that long ago. I was at the grocery and I saw smoked salmon. I went, oh, I am totally grabbing that and made my own ba bagels and locks, which is cheaper and, you know, sure. as good other than if somebody makes a homemade bagel. Um, so it, it did. It scratched that itch. It was so nice, but I haven't done it again. And giving up gluten, that changes some of the things. Um, but there's good gluten-free crust and cauliflower crust and things like that. So, hey, it's, it still could be a thing. Yeah. You're going to do a cauliflower bagel? I, have you seen the meme that's like this beautiful Sunday? It's got hot fudge and caramel. And I don't know. It's Ben was showing me this the, uh, this week. He said, have you seen this? It's hilarious. And somebody says, hey, does anybody have a recipe for this using cauliflower? <laughs> totally cracked up yeah. yeah so maybe just maybe we'll see and if if i do i'll i'll take a picture of it okay yeah oh i love pictures of good food i had a uh, a friend who was showing me pictures of food last night i'm like oh i want that but there's something <laughs> you know compelling about pictures and usa today has this picture of a snow leopard in the uh, the mountains it is absolutely stunning i mean the Snow leopard is, is so rare to begin with mm -hmm. for people to see these. Mm -hmm. They're known as the ghost of the mountains. And this image won a German photographer, the wildlife photographer of the year at the People's Choice Awards. You know he was thinking, oh, man, this is award winning when he got that. How oh, yeah. in the world did he get that? That is a good question. But there were over 60,000 people who voted in this. This was the winning entry over uh, 25 entries who were in the competition there. And there are about 6,500 snow leopards in the world. And somehow they were able to get a picture of the snow leopard uh, with the backdrop of the uh, Indian Himalayans. Oh, this brings up another question. Okay. 
that that question yes? Because <laughs> all of a sudden when I said something, you just went like, what is, what are you saying to me right now? What? 6,500 snow leopards, and yet they're the ghost of the mountain, so they're hard to spot and and, and they're rarely sighted. How do we know there's 6,500 snow leopards? I had that question, too. Inquiring yeah. minds want to know. Yeah. They, they say that they are uh, well camouflaged, stealthy, difficult to f- uh, photograph, and their habitats are so remote, and that's part of the reason. I don't know. I, I just kind of, you just kind of wonder, yeah, how do they come up with that number? But be that I, as I guess it may, scientists have, have figured that out. But be that as it may, it's a it's a stunning f- uh, photograph, and you can actually see it on the Certainly. USA Today website. Mm-hmm. You you see that story, you click on that. Maybe we can just post that picture on the Facebook page. But it got me thinking: What is your favorite picture? Hmm. Your favorite photograph? Hmm. You know, if uh, you were to drop your phone and it wasn't backed up in the cloud, what picture would you be sad that you lost? All 17,000 that are on my phone right now. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. 17,000. I think. Wow. I'm going to look. Okay. Uh, I But I'm so intrigued. Your answer, Mr. I don't take pictures. 17,099 photos on my phone at the moment. Okay. I'm, I guessed correctly. Not surprised by that. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. You looked up. Yeah, I'm uh, 5,000 on mine. So. You have 5,000 5, pictures? What of yes? How? Um, yeah, just pictures of kids. Pictures, yeah. Most of them are are pictures of family. Yes. Yeah, videos of that, and uh, a lot of them are ones that have been sent to me, not sure. ones that I've taken. But I'm like, oh, that's a cool picture, and I'll choose to just save it. But, ah, yeah. Okay. What is the picture mm-hmm. that you would not want to lose? Whether it's on your phone, you know, people used to talk about. Well, if your house was on fire. And yeah. you only had the opportunity to uh, grab one or two things. What would you grab? And, you know, in the, the Christian circles, well, my Bible of and the pictures, right? Because you don't want to lose those pictures. What would be the picture that you don't want to ever lose? Mm. 800-555-7898. <laughs> kind of curious as to what that would be. 800-555-7898. We'll find out what Don's picture is coming oh, up. No. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the Morning on Moody Radio. We're glad you're with us this morning. We're looking at favorite photos. Steve, I was just thinking about, you know, if if you had to save one photo, that might be that might be really tough. Even yeah. saying, Oh, this is my favorite photo of all time. Maybe you have one. Huey, you do. You have a picture of you and your mom. Thanks for sending that. That's that is a great a sweet picture. Picture that is really, really cool. What a keepsake. Certainly, I understand that. But there might be a current favorite photo that you have. I, I have seventeen thousand plus photos on my phone alone. That doesn't count when I had the camera. Like just right. the real like what was it Olympus? Not, I don't know. But I would take a lot of photos and then load them to, like, Walgreens or something. Sure. Trying to keep them. Now I have to laboriously go back through those if I want to find something when the kids are younger. And then not to mention the tubs. Ben May will tell you of photos that we have. So picking one out of those thousands might be a little challenging. What about your current favorite photo? Ooh, that's a good question. And uh, I was just kind of quickly sco- scrolling through my phone yeah. and uh, looking at, all right, what have I taken over the past uh, few months or pictures that have been sent to me over the past few months? And, and there were 
a couple that popped up here. Um, and it was all related to family, though. Of course. Um, back in October, uh, Andrew was baptized, and I got yes. to be a part of that. And so that was one that jumped out at me right away, mm-hmm. was just that picture of lifting him out of the water and Precious. just how how special that moment was. Precious. And, yeah, so that, that definitely would make the list. And then just pictures of uh, kids. Mm-hmm. Um, loving on each other, just being goofy nice. and smiling, looking at the camera, arms around each other, just being the silly brother and sister and that. And then when our greater family got together and uh, all of us could be together, um, taking pictures around Christmas time, um, where we're all in them. Because I- so often it's like, well, there's mom and one kid or there's just the kids, but nobody else. So when we had the opportunity to have the family in a picture, that, that was pretty nice, too. I think it was Thanksgiving, maybe, where when you guys first met the May family, we pulled out the camera and said, right there. Yeah, you catch did. Up. There was resistance. There was, I won't call it hostile resistance, but there was certainly <laughs> felt resistance. Fast forward three years, Susie Hiller says to me at Thanksgiving this year, as we look back over the last three years, I'm so glad you took those photos. Look at how the kids have changed. We have this photo together as a family. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> I All guess right. my tough skin has has developed just a little bit through the years. Because there would have been a year I would have gone, okay, you don't want to take a picture, that's fine. But I was like, mm-mm, we're doing this. <laughs> and each year you probably are met with a little less resistance. Oh, this right? year y'all didn't give me any lip at all. <laughs> You're like, okay, kids, come on, let's get this picture real quick and then we'll go eat. I'm yeah, like, let's get it over with because food's waiting. Totally fine. <laughs> if I have to bribe you with food, I am not above that or below it. No, it's all good. Just stand there, smile, and move on. So I, th- all that because you said those are precious to you. They are. Not, not the ones we took necessarily, but the ones of your family where you could look and say, hey, we're all in this pic. Yeah, well, our oldest lives in Wisconsin. Just weird we did yours does too, yeah. right? And yeah. so, you know, when you want to get together for those family pictures mm-hmm. so often, because there's four who live under our roof currently, and, and the fifth is, is gone. And so you're like, when we have the opportunity to have all five together, you gotta like, do I got to get a picture of that. I'm so proud right now. I, I, I had nothing to do with it, but I'm just so <laughs> proud that you're embracing that. And uh, Tina, thank you for your photos this morning. Precious. Just hours before your Graham went home to be with the Lord, Mm. you were holding hands and having that sweet time together. And then, of course, a photo of when she was healthier. Um, But, yeah, those are just moments you know you'll never get back. Jim, thank you for your your picture is of your wedding day. This is so cool. Dude, is that a tux or a leisure suit? I'm not sure. But it's it's so cool to go back to yesteryear. Pat, Miss Pat, thank you. Your dad and your grandson, and they have the same birthday. So you have side-by-side photos and just the similarities of family. Love this. That is pretty cool. Well, if you've got a uh, favorite photo that you would uh, love to share, we'd love to see it. You can uh, text that in this morning to 800-555-7898. You could also post that on our Facebook page. Facebook, it's Don and Steve in the morning, and uh, we can connect that way. Yeah, I, I'm uh, thinking back to some of our wedding photos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a couple in there. I know. That you just, yeah, that, that, one, that one has got to stay. Favorite memory and. Yeah, you think back how special that day was and mm-hmm. all that you were uh, thinking and feeling and everything that day and just 
man, I'm so glad that that day got captured too. Some of those uh, special moments. What's yours? 800-555-7898 to uh, text that in this morning. Or you can drop the photo on our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning.